building a supportive culture. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. Hey, Gut Plus Science listeners, today, John Levy and I will dig into how to build and sustain a supportive culture with Michael Gable, who's the CEO of Parker Adventist Hospital. Both of these gentlemen, John and Mike, have worked in the healthcare industry for many years, and they have many learnings to help us all move our people forward. So we'll be talking about well-being, trust, transparency, and really honing in on what supportive culture really is, what it really looks like. Let's go. Welcome to Gut Plus Science. It's Nikki, and I get to do another co-host experience with my friend, the president of CCA, John Levy. John, introduce our guest joining us today, would you? Happily. Mike Gable serves as the chief executive officer at Parker Adventist Hospital since June 2018. Prior to joining Parker Adventist Hospital, Mike served as CEO of Adventist Medical Center, Hinsdale and Adventist Medical Center, LaGrange in Illinois. He was instrumental in the integration of the two facilities, driving the concept of a one hospital, two campus philosophy. And he guided Hinsdale to numerous recognitions, most notably the 2017 100 top hospital designation by Truven Analytics. Mike has spent 39 years working in healthcare, held numerous finance and operations positions, and worked in both acute care, long-term care, and retirement living organizations. Yay. Welcome. So excited. So, Mike, emotional well-being has risen as a top priority for healthcare leaders. Share your highest priorities in supporting emotional well-being and building engagement with your staff. Well, I believe emotional well-being starts with creating a supportive culture, and that starts with leadership. So in healthcare, we have senior leaders, we have directors, we have managers, and I try to build strong relationships with that leadership group because I think what if they feel supported, that gets translated to our frontline employees. I think also being visible is very important, being a good listener. We do things, we have a lot of rounding that happens in our building. I try to round weekly. I try to round on nights, one to two times a month and spend time with our employees. We do things like employee forums. So getting to know our employees, I think, is about creating a culture that helps notice their well-being. I had somebody a long time ago tell me that people won't trust you if they don't know you. So getting to know people, getting people to trust you is very helpful in trying to recognize when people are not in a good emotional state. And I think going through what hospitals have been through, we've had nurses that have seen more death in an ICU than in two years than some nurses that have worked in this industry for 15 or 20. So emotional well-being is critically important. And I think it's something that is going to be much healthier if you have a healthy culture. That's great. Mike, as part of that, you really are building trust and relationships across your organization with employees and other leaders. What are some of the strategies you use to kind of further that trust in those relationships, those things being crucial for getting that, that kind of employees to open up and share the way that you want them to? Well, again, it's I believe in strategy. I also believe strongly in building strong culture. To me, it's very important to me personally to build a high trust, highly transparent culture. I think culture, it took me a while in my career to figure out it's something you have to demonstrate. You can't 
demand it. You can't ask for it. If you demonstrate things, people will follow. So we spend a lot of time, again, with leadership. With my senior team, we do trust-building exercises. I think never hurts to be genuine and authentic in the way you communicate. But also getting to know people, again, is important. But allowing people to ask tough questions. I mean, whether it's an employee forums, whether it's somebody that stops me in the hallway and asks me a, a direct question, how you answer that, the manner in which you answer that is crucially important because obviously for people to share, to open up, they have to be vulnerable. And if you shut down that vulnerability, they won't ask again. So I think I have some leadership mantras that I've gone by for a long time. It's about treating people well and have high expectations. I think it's about treating people as well when they leave your organization as when they start. There's books like The Speed of Trust that talk in detail about the value of building a high trust environment and how that helps organizations succeed. So I think it's a lot about interactions with people and how you treat them, treating them well. People will open up and start to share their deepest concerns and what's on their mind. So that's how I do that. It's great. So good. So Mike, so happy to have you with us today. And I love how you shared that leadership must prioritize creating a supportive culture. And I think the key that you said there is making sure that the people notice that you are supporting them and how you're supporting them and not just be a check the box thing. Cause it's one of those things like we're doing this. I heard about another hospital system that's doing this and we're doing it, but are they, is it being noticed? And you have to, you talked about listening and the power of listening to make sure that it's not like, oh, I did that or did it really make an impact? I really like that point that you make or that you made. I wanted to ask before I've got a number of questions to tee into or tie into trust and transparency. Can you just kind of share some context? Let's say that you're mentoring a newer leader and they're trying to understand the time it takes to build trust and transparency. What would you share with them? I was taught early in my career, I said to somebody who used to be a professor at the University of Colorado by the name of Wayne Boss, I said to him, Wayne, it seems like it takes a while to build trust with people. He said, Mike, you can build trust in three days. So there's an exercise he took us through, which is a very, it is a vulnerable type exercise of showing your vulnerabilities to the people that report to you. And it is getting in a room, having people list their expectations of, in that instance, me, my expectations of them, and spending time just sharing some very detailed information about how I lead what that looks like, what are things that cross a line with me, and really sharing that information. And we did that with a senior team. And I tell you, I walked out two days later with a whole different appreciation for that's how fast you can build trust. Not everybody goes through that exercise. In a slower situation, it's just people watch everything you do. And it is about being consistent. I think it is about being honest in your answers. People don't expect you to have all the answers, but I think it's it's a lot about trust and transparency in every interaction. Mm, so good. And I think the typical answer is be patient. Trust takes a long time. Transparency, it is an ever going journey. But when you said it could be a three-day thing, it made me think of a couple of like workshops I've been to, like transformational workshops. The people that were in those sessions, I've never seen them again, but we've stayed in touch. And I feel like when I could have, we've had calls and things, but never been together again live because we're all over the world. 
but the way I feel about them. And it was a weekend. And I was like, oh, it's so powerful to think. It's the intentional effort of really doing activities and providing vulnerability that really gets you there versus just take time and keep doing the same things, which are important. But I love, I love that you made that point. Thank you. I wanted to drill down something because I think it's really interesting, the work you're doing with your leadership. How do you cascade that down to frontline managers? I know we've been talking a lot at CCA about around the importance of nurse managers and making sure they are both supported and supportive to the nurses that they're working with, since they're kind of the main reason you'd retain or attract new nurses, people leave their managers, right? So how does that work that you're doing with the leadership team kind of get to the frontline manager? Well, so we do team building exercises with our senior team, our directors, and our managers, where we go off-site. Sometimes it's a half a day, sometimes it's a whole day. We use an external coach, and we talk about the topics. They facilitate it, but it's really about having them share, open up, and give feedback to me directly to my senior team. So it's, it's including them in team building exercises and helping them grow that way as well. So, yeah. And kind of leaning right into that question. That was a good one, John. I'm curious how you really scale your leadership by equipping champions or having stakeholders that really work behind you in order to make maximum progress on employee engagement and well-being. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, engagement starts with leadership. It starts with a number of things like uh, holding people accountable, dealing with low performance, and ultimately leaders to me go one of three directions. They either go down a popularity uh, track, just being friends with their employees, or they go down a track of using kind of a fear-based culture to get people to do what they need them to do. Obviously, the most powerful is to earn people's respect. So at the end of the day, I've been in distressed companies. I've been in difficult situations where I've seen people go way above and beyond because they respected who I was and how I treated them. Mm. You know, we, I am in a company that fortunately is big on surveying. So we do survey our employees with external companies. Then it's with a larger group of employees taking a manager who's trying to move engagement of any particular unit. It's about sharing the results, being transparent. Gallup organization years ago taught me that, you know, it's not rocket science. It is about taking the outcomes of a survey, putting it in front of your employees, developing an action plan, working that action plan. And they say, if you do those things, engagement will move. And I have seen that in my career. That is excellent. Actually, I've seen a lot of, Mike, I love that you're leveraging the data and you're doing something about it. I can't tell you how many healthcare organizations I've worked with that do an engagement survey, but fail on the action planning afterwards. Yes. Yeah. It's really a testament to your, uh, to your leadership that you guys are acting on them when you're so busy with other things. It is giving leaders also the sense that we're here to support them and make them successful because mm-hmm. in this unprecedented society and in healthcare, we're facing things we've never faced. So moving engagement takes work, but it is. People want to be listened to. People want to have input into their environment. And that's, we do things like take the results of those action plans, put them on a flip chart and do give them dots. A green dot is it's improved. A yellow dot is it's the same. A red dot is it's gotten worse. And in a few minutes, you can find out, hey, how are we doing on this action plan? Hmm. 
I love that. Thank you for bringing that to life. So Mike, part of a supportive culture is recognition for sure. Give us some examples of how you celebrate wins or recognize people. We were probably not the poster child for celebrations, but we try to do things. We have a pedal award for non-clinical staff. We do DAISY awards to recognize staff that go above and beyond. And we've done free meals for our employees when we hit milestones of of quality and quality is something we work on every single day. We do things just to celebrate our workforce, like picnics. We're doing an employee banquet tomorrow night to celebrate our um, employees as they hit five-year increments of service. So it's kind of constantly we're trying to do things to make employees feel feel needed, feel wanted, have time to socialize with their coworkers as well. And that's really important. Thank you for sharing. On our prep call, we dug into ideas for this episode and you had a response about the power of personal values as a leader and never compromising. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, I think being a values-based leader is really important because it's really choosing things that exemplify what you stand for and then upholding those. So I think uh, being a value-based leader is something that helps me sleep well at night. I think being va- having a value-based leadership style also makes me more consistent and more predictable. I mean, people pretty much know how Mike's going to respond because of the values I've upheld. There's actually a book that I read recently that was given to me by my daughter. It's called The Upside of Stress. And they actually describe research, which shows that when people are in their most stressed state, that concentrating on their values actually helps them deal with stress. So to me, that tells me how important concentration on values are. And yes, I've been in situations in my career where I was asked to lie by my boss. I didn't do it. I was asked to terminate a group of employees very quickly, like in 14 days. I didn't do that. And I was asked to terminate a leader for something that was not their fault. And so it helps you have a line. It guides your leadership style. And yes, I try to never violate the values that I uphold. And I would change employers if I was asked to do that. That's how strongly I believe in it. Mm -hmm. That's great, Mike. Some of the work we're doing around, it reminds me of some of the work we're doing around moral injury and moral trauma when it comes to nursing. Sure. One of the tools that we're using to help with that is reconnecting them to their values, which is very interesting that you brought that up in that, in that book. It does have a powerful effect mitigating the burnout and the trauma they're facing is reconnecting with that, remembering why they're there, reconnecting with their ethics. It's really interesting you brought that up. Yeah. I'm about to pass it back over to John, but I wanted to address something that comes up a lot in our healthcare content and different episodes and things is the disparity between the need and the support. So that supportive culture that you really look to bring, the need and the support on the front lines. Share what you're doing and mentor our audience on what are you doing or what do you aspire to do to provide better help to your people on the front lines? Well, and it's interesting you ask that question because in this day and age, I think healthcare is looking for ways to staff our industry because of a huge demand for registered nurses and a lower supply. I mean, there's just been a lot of opportunities for registered nurses to 
go to different industries and all in all, that's a good thing, but there's a shortage of, of a workforce for healthcare. I think it's number one, just being aware of the workload of our caregivers, walking around, listening to them, having them tell me directly what their concerns are, what their fears are. I think that's, we have a lot of people that round and staying close to our staff, staying close to our leadership. When my leaders tell me they're worried about a particular segment of the workforce, I'm all ears. We've done things like vary our volume. During COVID, we had to reduce our surgical volume and go to only elective surgery. Otherwise, we would overwhelm our organization. And believing that patient safety is very important, I've used the philosophy of the mom test for much of my career, and that is trying to deliver care that I would want for my family, for anyone that walks through the doors of this organization. And so upholding that means we have to watch our caregivers, listen to them, try to moderate their workforce, their workload as much as possible in an environment where a recent study came out in the last week by an organization called Kaufman Hall that says 52% of hospitals in America are losing money. So we are in a cost reduction mode in this industry. It's necessary for the longevity of our industry, but we still have to balance that by listening to our staff and making sure they can still feel like they've done a good job when they walk out the door at the end of the day. And that's kind of a long answer, but it's a multitude of things, primarily a lot about listening to our staff. It's great. Yep. So much power in listening. So Mike, how do you lean into the tools that you already have in place, like your EAP or other resources like chaplains and stuff like that to provide that support to, the, to that front line. Yeah, you've hit on two key pieces. I mean, we've, we've gone to having our EAP counselors actually round in the building instead of waiting for people to call EAP, which is probably historically what we've done. We actually have EAP counselors walking through the building, talking to staff, trying to at least find people that they feel they need to spend a little more time with. We definitely have, uh, chaplains that are in the building. We've asked our chaplains to spend a lot of time concentrated on our staff as much as, if not more, some days as on the patients, because there's obviously things a a frontline staff member may tell a chaplain that they may not tell me. I think there's also a piece of trying to reframe how people think. I was given a book recently called The Gap and the Gain, and the author just explains real quickly We all have this altruistic view of who we want to be, and we measure ourselves against that every day. Um, He said, versus looking at, are you in a better place right now than you were a month ago, six months ago, a year ago? And using that to say, hey, I'm gaining, I'm gaining knowledge, I'm gaining skills, and I'm in a better place. I have actually used that with a few of our frontline nurses, and it resonates. Because we may not be in an environment where perfect care gets delivered every day, but are people getting well? Are they walking out the door in a much better situation than they walked in? We also have are using doing a study with a sports psychologist, not just EAP, but looking at nursing as a performance job and how do we improve their work performance versus in any way, shape, or form having them feel like they have a mental health issue. And so it's that challenge, I think. We don't have the answers yet, but just using the gap in the gain philosophy with some people, it resonates. That's a very good reframing of this, of their needs for support, right? As a performance 
as coaching for better performance versus treatment for emotional health. One of the things we've seen at CCA, exactly, we we're an EAP that's been doing this for about 40 years, and we've worked with healthcare organizations for three decades, and we have seen historically low utilization amongst clinicians. It just is what has been happening over decades. And when the pandemic hit, we expected higher usage and we didn't get it, which had made us, forced us to rethink sure. how we engage with clinicians, nurses, and physicians on the front lines. One of the key things, to your point, is reframing. A lot of, one of the barriers, one of the obstacles amongst many is the stigma of mental health and right. the feeling of a caregiver like a nurse or even a physician saying, I'm doing self-care for myself. No, you know, I don't have a mental health issue. Right. There's licensure issues. There's other factors that really kind of structurally enhance the stigmatization of mental health in the healthcare space. So that reframing is excellent. We have, a, I have a, a story, I, I, and I don't want to go off on a tangent, Nikki, but can I go on a tangent? Absolutely. We do on-site counseling with a lot of our healthcare clients. In fact, most of them we do on-site counseling. And to your point, we've started doing rounding because passively sitting there for people to come, waiting for nurses to come to us is not as effective as going to them. But there was a time where we changed the name of the healthcare of the on-site counselor to work-life coach. And they went from having no appointments to being overbooked. And it was that simple reframing, trying to get away from the stigma. It's not mental health. Another thing we've been rolling out with healthcare organizations is peer support, peer coaching. And one of the reasons why that works is, again, they're not reaching out to a mental health professional. They're reaching out to a peer. They're engaging in peer coaching. There's no documentation. There's no doctors involved. There's no issues in terms of licensure. So I totally respect what the sports psychologist and, and you are working on. I think it really will have an impact. All right. Well, hey, gents, I think we've covered a lot of ground and have a number of inspirational nuggets. I've been taking notes the entire time. So I got to figure out how to summarize that and our truth you can act on. We pack so much into 30 minutes. Let's take a quick break and head over to our lightning round. But we're going to go ahead and play a sponsor message. We'll be right back. If you're leading with a people-first mindset, which most likely you are because you're listening to Gut Plus Science, join People Forward Network, the largest community of humans on a shared mission to lead meaningful work. You can find us at peopleforwardnetwork.com or follow People Forward Network on LinkedIn. Hey, it's Nikki and we're here on Gut Plus Science. I'm with Mike Gable today and we're diving into our new lightning round. You never know what question you're going to get, except for we are sticking with the favorite book. And I know Mike mentioned many books in the conversation today that we will note in the show notes. But Mike, if you had to pick a favorite, either a favorite of all time or a favorite recent read, what would you pick? I think one of my all-time favorites was the, is the book Good to Great. So good. Yes. It's one of those that I feel like we can read over and over. You know, you just always will pick up great foundational leadership advice. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. All right. What gets you most excited about life? I think two things, faith and family, are both very important to me. And things that keep me excited and engaged in life, spending time with family anytime is terrific. So awesome. All right. And then what about activities that make you lose track of time? Well, I say I have more hobbies than I have time for. I mean, I'm a private pilot flying airplanes, playing tennis. I actually ride a dirt bike still at this age of my career in the mountains in Colorado. So 
any of those things helps me lose time, track of time. Oh, I love that. That's so awesome. I'm glad we asked that question. You need faith to ride a dirt bike <laughs> in the mountains of Colorado, let me tell you. Right. Yeah, I've gone, I've gone over the handlebars numerous times, but no serious injuries yet. Right. Oh, that's awesome. And Mike, what is the best way for our listeners to stay connected with you after the show today? They can find me on LinkedIn under my full name, Michael Gable. Awesome. And John, it has been a joy to co-host with you again. I think we have a few more episodes coming out soon. This one was another great one. I'd love if, can we just wrap up? I know you touched a little bit on CCA from the EAP perspective and how you all are different and see today's best practices for EAP. You mentioned that a little bit, but can you just give our listeners a snapshot of what you and your team do every day to move people forward in workplaces? Yeah. Thanks, Nikki. So we are an EAP, but we're also a consulting firm. So we, we try to blend those things together, right? We approach mental health as a consultative, with a consultative offering. So context of, of healthcare, we've been looking very much on the nursing constituency and how to get usage higher with that group. We brought together an advisory board of, of different nurse leaders, nursing thought leaders, across the country to help guide us in either building out solutions like the one on moral injury and moral trauma, or just improving upon the solutions we already have, you know, making the EAP more accessible, less stigmatized, and just, just more, more nurse-centric, more focused on that constituency, because I think there's a big gap there and, and there's some need. And that's what we've been working on for the last That's so great. We love to partner with you at People Forward Network. We love sharing the stage to interview great guests on Gut Plus Science and looking forward to many more. We will see everyone next time. Thank you so much. All right, here's my truth you can act on from our great conversation today around building supportive culture. Number one, leadership must prioritize creating a supportive culture. And in order to really make sure that that's happening, we have to ask our people questions about if they really notice the support that's provided. So we had mentioned there's the check the box. Yep, I'm doing it. Yep, I'm doing it. But is but are the people really noticing? That's the key. So must prioritize creating a supportive culture and checking in with people to make sure they notice the support that you're providing as a leader. Number two, Top foundational leadership priorities to lay the foundation for a supportive culture, trust and transparency. And you have to be intentional about the experiences you do together to go deep and share vulnerabilities and to really build relationships in order to do this. Some might say trust takes years. Others could say, like on the show today, it could take three days. It's about the intentional, deep, vulnerable sharing and activities that we do to build that. And I threw out my example of, as Michael shared that, I thought about like a transformational leadership weekend and being with people for three days. And wow, the power of that to build trust. It is so true. So it's not about necessarily the time, even though we do have to be patient. It's about the the impact of the activities that we lay out as leaders. Number three, as a leader, Do you clearly know your values and they're so deep within you that you can rattle them off whenever asked and you are confident that you will never compromise those? I love the examples that Mike shared today. And number four, listen to the needs of your people and prioritize focus based on that feedback. 
So whether it's collecting data like the surveys we talked about or doing listening rounds, whatever it is, spending time listening, asking for feedback and learning through that is a key habit. It's a habit that we all have to build and get better at. Awesome. We'll see you next time. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.